All right, my friends. Domcast, episode one. Maybe two, maybe three. I'm not sure. We just recording. We out ya. When I say we, I'm actually bummed myself right now. Beautiful music brought to you by Still Show Music Group. Follow them on Instagram. Still Trill Music Group. It's my boy Andy. Recording. Recording. He's one of the best, uh, he's one of the best producers I know of right now out there in the game. If you're a hip-hop artist, uh, you need beats, you need video production, you're a rock band, you want music videos made, check out my boy Andy, dude. My boy Andy, dude. We used to be roommates back in the day, I'll tell you what. Me and that guy got in some. We got some times. We definitely got some things that we're going to take to the grave with us. But uh, y'all remember like when you very first graduated high school and you kind of got one of the first like roommates? He wasn't technically my first roommate, but he was with me all the time. I moved to Austin. I actually got accepted into a music uh, college, and uh, my parents didn't want me to go. They were not about it. They weren't about my brothers and I being musicians at all until basically my younger brother. Uh, he, he started doing really well, but he was the youngest, and you know we had to take the fall so he could actually do music, which is all right. It's cool. But um, I moved to Austin because I wanted to do music, and my parents said, well, you're going to stay in San Antonio and go to school if you don't go to a normal-ass college. And I was like, well, what the fuck did I practice guitar for all throughout high school? I did that for a reason, so I can go to school for music. So after I got accepted, they kind of broke my heart about not letting me go. And then, yeah, I went to Austin, kind of wild out. You know, I smoked, I smoked pot for the first time, the marijuana. I uh, got my first blowjob. Boozed a little bit. I never really liked to drink too much, to be honest with you. I like to booze now. Don't get me wrong, dude. I love that. But back then, no. Back then, I really liked, I liked to smoke. And I remember the first time I did, it was not even good weed, dude. It was shit. It was what they were calling swag, dude. You get that $10 dime bag, son. And it's exactly what it was. And I remember I was with Andy, my boy, who was making those beats. And we're sitting there on my balcony. And we're in Austin, Texas on 45th and Duval, man. And he loads a bowl, and they've been smoking for a minute. I'm, I was new to it. I never smoked in high school. I was offered, I smoked some cigarettes in high school. I never smoked weed. Uh, but I was just a really hyperactive kid, and drugs just didn't, uh, they weren't appealing to me in any way at all. And he asked me if I wanted to smoke a bowl at them one time, and I think I was just drinking some Lone Stars, and I was 18 at the time. So I go out on the patio with them. Sun's already set. And we're sitting around in a circle, and I hit my first pipe. And I make it sound like it's something bad, like a crack pipe. No, I hit my first bowl, and by the time, before I even exhaled, I was lifted. I was fucking uh, sky high, dude. I was jet set Johnson, dude. I was out of this world. I exhale, and I I couldn't control my legs, my arms. It was the weirdest feeling. And my body was so pure. It's like 18 years of no drugs, no nothing. I didn't even drink soda. Not because I was trying to be healthy. Honestly, just didn't like it. It was too damn sweet. Even though I'm drinking vanilla whiskey and Coca-Cola right now. But that's like a decade or so later. Because I'm an old man now. So I hit this bowl and I lose all control. I have no control. 
and the bull comes back around because we haven't even finished the first one. There's like five of us, me being number five. And I just look at Andy and I'm like, dude, we hit this again. And he just, everyone just start busting out laughing. And they're like, yeah, man, we're going to smoke like four of these things. I felt like I had demons entering my soul, man. They went across the street to go to the gas station and get munchies, which is still like, uh, it's still new to me. This whole, uh, let's get munchies and smoke kind of thing. And I tell you what. They were gone for maybe no more than 15 minutes. Probably no more than 10 because there's a gas station right across the street. But it felt like an hour and a half and I had like no control over my body. So they were gone. I just said, I'm going to lay on the couch and I could not move. The whole time they were gone, I felt like I was getting, I had a bunch of weight on me. I was getting pressed down. So I've never had those night terrors, but I know a lot of people that have and they almost say it's the same experience. You feel like... uh. You're outside of your body. Uh, what do you call it? OBEs, out-of-body experiences. And you're watching yourself and you can't control it. That's kind of how it was the very first time I got high. And then after that, I never had an issue with it, with weed or anything. It was really weird. It was kind of like I popped my weed cherry and that was how I did it. But those are my boys. And so when I was up in Austin, I smoked a little pot. You know, I had a good time. I liked to booze. Um, I got, I, I started boozing more and smoking less. And I think that was definitely wasn't a good thing. But I also think it was like a genetic thing why I like alcohol. So anyways, I was up there for a while and I really did not do much music. I just, I was meeting people. And I was in the service industry, and I grew up in the service industry. My family, they had restaurants in San Antonio from like 1976. And I was born in 89. Young blood, dude. I still call myself an 80s baby, even though I don't know shit. And my entire uh, youth was spent in the 90s, you know, pretty much for the most part. But uh, my family, and people, they don't understand. Like, okay, so your family's Italian, what the hell are they doing in Texas? Well, they're from Detroit. And I don't know. My grandpa was shaking hands and kissing babies. And uh, they just met a lot of people. And they got pretty well connected. And at that time, it was a time where um, the mo- the How do I say this right? The police were looking for people. And so they started questioning people in the neighborhood or people that had ties with certain Italians. And at the time, my grandfather was working, he was in the military and hurt himself. And so when he was, uh, he was was healing up, I guess, he was hanging out with these Italians up in Detroit that owned a restaurant. And that's how he kind of learned the ins and outs of the restaurant industry. And from my knowledge, one thing that restaurants had that people in the mafia needed were trucks. They needed trucks. If they were moving something, it was a lot easier to punt it in the back of a truck and then punt 400 pounds of like canned tomato sauce in front of it. And it's, you know, it's a Roma Italian food truck or something. You know, if the cop, this is back in the 70s, you pull a truck, you pull a delivery truck to a little Italian restaurant in Detroit, you lift up the back and you just got, you know, 15 feet just what looks like tomato cans at the end of that 15 feet you know 10 feet high tomato cans you could put whatever the hell you want back there because the cops aren't emptying that entire truck 
So people started getting nosy. The cops, the law, the 5 whatever you want to call them. The beautiful woman in the, uh, the blue. Oh, I just got to say, side note. Do not buy this damn vanilla bourbon. Oh, this is a vanilla cordial with a splash of bourbon. It's damn disgusting. As I take a sip. So, he learned the whole ins and outs of the restaurant business. And back in the 70s, you can get away with a lot. Especially in Detroit. You could get away with murder. Literally. They had people that would start shit up there. They would take them in the walk-in. The big old walk-in coolers. Beat the shit out of them. And then throw them out in the back alley. And then to call the cops and be like, hey, we found him out here like this. Cops weren't asking questions. But when the cops started to ask questions, they were coming to my grandparents. And my grandparents, you know, you know the old line, you know, snitches get stitches. That shit was legit, dude. Except instead of stitches, they were throwing Molotov cocktails. I remember someone that my dad played like peewee football with back in Michigan. He was rolling around with... My dad was rolling around, you know, he was he was playing football with that kid. Well, my grandpa was hanging out with that kid's dad. And next thing you know, like three days, they were they were up to something. They won't they never spoke about it. He never gave me all the details. Rest in peace, my grandfather. He never gave me all the details. But I do know a Molotov cocktail was thrown and someone's car was destroyed. So you don't have to think too hard on that. My grandparents had to leave. And if you look at a map of the beautiful United States of America, the greatest country on God's green earth, and you look at Detroit, Michigan, actually Dearborn, Michigan, which is another outskirt like Southfield and all that, what Leon Valley is to San Antonio, or Bernie is to San Antonio, or whatever the fuck New York is to New York, New York, or whatever, I don't know how you Yankees calculate this shit, and you draw a line straight down south from Detroit, Michigan, all the way down to San Antonio, Texas. I mean, you're basically as far south as you can get besides Mexico. And if you're trying to get away from questioning from the cops up there, and from my understanding, in the 70s, Detroit, because now it's mostly Arabs, Lebanese, uh, Iraqis, Afghanis, whatever, Iranians, which do not, I repeat, do not call an Iranian an Arab. They are Indo-European, according to them. They consider themselves Persians. They do not speak Arabic. They speak Farsi. If you ever meet someone from Iran, not Iran, say Iran, show some, put some speck on its name, dude. Put some fucking speck on its name. Call them Persians. Don't call them Arabs. Don't do any of that shit. You know, just call them Persians, man. That's why they got a name. And if an Arab calls himself a Persian, those are fighting words, dude. Those are, that's when the Iranians will go to the trunk, pop trunk and get their hitter, dude. They're stealthy like that, man. But uh, all the respect to the Persians, man, and the Arabs. But anyways, back in the day, you know, we're, we're, we're getting a little saucy with these ethnicities, but I'm just telling you how it was. I never was like this, but growing up, my father thought it was amusing to hear someone's name on TV or like playing a sport and try to figure out what their ethnicity was according to their last name. I don't think it was racist. We were just kind of Italian, so we're kind of in the middle. Like, we got our white card in, like, the 80s. You know, so we're basically... We didn't get our white pass until, like, 81. 
in, I was I think it was like after Rocky came out. Actually, I need to look up what that year was. But once Rocky came out, the white people just embraced the Italians. Man, I was like, you know, so we got our card in the eighties or so, late seventies, early eighties. And uh, back then in Detroit, when my grandparents' time, when they were hanging out at the restaurant, you know, that wasn't our restaurant. They didn't open theirs until they moved down to San Antonio. But um, there was the Jews. It was the Jews and the Italians, man. They were fighting. This was like, uh, it was just a little underground war, man. They were trying to take over. They were getting their post-World War II money, dude. And they were buying shit up left and right. But when the cops started coming around, knocking on doors and asking questions, that's when my family was like, young money dipset. That's what this is. And if I ain't good looking, you bet my bitches, dude. And they left, man. They got the fuck out of Detroit. Atlanta, San Antonio, Texas. And I think when they got here, they really didn't know what to do at first. I know my grandma was cutting hair and things like that. But they eventually opened up Italian restaurants. Now, when they opened up Italian restaurants, they brought all the ideas, all the shit they had that they learned from up north and brought it down to Texas. And no one was doing Italian food like that. No one was. And that's kind of the environment I grew up in. So they ran Italian restaurants all through the 80s with my aunt, my soon-to-be aunt. You know, that's how my dad met my mom, y'all. Y'all dating on Tinder and all this kind of shit. Let me tell you this. My pops, he fought in Lebanon, Marine Corps, Semper Fidelis, dude. And... He came back from Lebanon like 82, 83, and my aunt, she was a server in one of our restaurants, and he came back, and he goes, she goes and tells her sister, she goes, hey, the owner has a son, he's super handsome, I think y'all should go on a date, right? So she, my aunt then tells my dad, hey, I got a sister, you know, um... She's pretty cute. She's fun-loving. You should go on a date with her. And my dad, I think at the time, he may have even been engaged with someone else, man. But this is how it worked back then. So they went they went on a date. And I, I think to this day, my mom says she was drinking Everclear. She was a little wild thing. Now, my mother, that's a different story. She was from the Ozark Mountains of Missouri. She grew up playing out on hay bales, you know, riding around with the, the boys in the trucks, smoking a little Ozark, you know, that Ozark magic puff right there, that good green, dude, that was growing good, man, you got little tree frogs growing in that good Ozark Buddha, and so they go out on a date, and my dad's like, well, I'm engaged, I'm never going to see this chick again, so he starts saying, all this crazy shit. He says he's Lebanese, right? He tells my mom that he's Lebanese and has multiple dead brothers and sisters buried in Deborn, Michigan. And my mom, at the end of this date, falls in love with my dad. And she just says she doesn't know if it was his good looks or the Everclear. But whatever happened... My mom got on the phone, called up his fiance, and basically said, 
hey, this is my man. Don't you ever fucking call again, bitch. <laughs> Savage, man. Savage. And this shit is before the internet. Anything, she just, imagine, imagine knowing like your fiance just got back. He was fighting in the war. You're telling all your friends how you can't wait to go see your old man, the Marine dude. And you get a call from San Antonio and you're like, oh, he's probably calling from like a friend's number or something. Which I don't even think they had caller ID, but they're, you know, she's expecting a call. Because I think at this time she was living in Oklahoma or some shit. I got to go back and hear the story from my parents though. But, you know, at this time they probably changed it to keep their marriage floating and nice and nice and nice and good. I don't know, man. Because a lot of times they never gave us kids all the deets. But I like to I like to have some drinks with my mom. And once mom mom gets a little loosey-goose, dude, once she gets a little loosey-goose... Everything comes out. Everything. So she falls in love with my pops, calls up his fiance, says it's fucking over. And that was it. And then they ended up getting married and popped my ass out like six years later in San Antonio, fucking Texas. And that's how I came to be this Italian white trash. Texas boy. That is my bloodline right there. And people ask me, they're like, oh, what are you? And I'm like, I tell them I'm American. I'm Texan, dude. Yeah, my, my grandparents, oh, they, if they're from Italy. That, you know, but when it comes down to it, people from Texas, we're a little prideful. I'm pretty sure we're pretty much one of the only states that would be down to secede. Straight up. I don't fully believe that that would ever happen. And... It would be a good thing. If if Texas seceded, I'm pretty sure Donald Trump would treat us just like Mexico. He'd just make the fucking wall <laughs> go around Oklahoma and Louisiana and shit. That's pretty much how I think it'd, it'd go. But So that's how we ended up in Texas. And so when I graduated high school, like I said, I was tasting the juice of many different berries from many different trees. Many. And I remember smoking, like I said, pot for the first time. But I will say, I got a blowjob. A majestic blowjob. For the first time when I lived in Austin, Texas. Now, I was a very good boy when it came to things like that. When I was in high school, I was playing for churches. I played, not churches, chicken. I was playing for different churches. I was playing guitar. And I was I was part of their uh, their youth team, you know. You know, I'll play with the youth pastors and I'll play guitar. So I and I and the girlfriend I had at the time, I dated two girls. Swim team captain, dance king, dance team captain. All right. I liked captains. I like Captain Morgan. I like Captain Crunch. I like dance team captain. And I like the swim team captain. So, anyways, I remember going up and and when I dated for the most part in high school, the woman I dated, the lady, the girl, I guess, we were young. She, um, you know, we were saving ourselves. We were saving ourselves. So I didn't have any kind of sexual experience. So when I get to Austin, um, you know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna name names, but I'll say I'm, I, I met a, an older girl. She was probably like 22, and I was like 18. She went to UT. I do remember she was Italian. <laughs> Her last name was just as fucking weird as mine is, but she 
didn't, we were all pretty drunk. And at the time, this is also why I can't drink Fireball. This was before Fireball whiskey. If you even want to use the word whiskey in that disgusting fucking cordial, dude. That thing, as a bartender, I think is one of the most disgusting alcoholic liquors, drinks, whatever you want to say that's out on the market. It is horrible for you, too. I can tell you that. It changes your, ugh, it is just so bad for you. It's literally like drinking real-ass antifreeze, except it ain't going to kill you, kill you, unless you drink too much of that shit. And uh, I used to drink what was called hot damn 100 proof hot damn. It was cinnamon liqueur. And I remember we were all a little, and I got so sick off that after the first month of living in Austin. I could, when Fireball did come out, I think I was 23, 24 at the time. I think I was 23. And it, they very first brought it to our bar and they had the reps there and everything. And they were trying to push it, give us the selling points. And, blah, blah, blah. and so I took a shot and it just brought flashbacks up, dude. I was like that. Like when a dog hears a doorbell or a fucking guy hears like a, a plane go off, he like flashbacks to Vietnam. That's how that shit was when I tasted Fireball. It's basically a cinnamon cordial or liqueur for the first time since I was like 18. I almost wanted to throw up on spot. It was disgusting. So I was drunk off hot damn, 18 years old, 45th and Duval upstairs in this two bedroom where I was splitting a bedroom with one of my roommates at the time, which I hope I have on here pretty soon. His name is uh, Eric. He is an awesome dude. I said I don't name names, but Eric's going to be on this and you're going to get to learn and meet Eric. And he's one of the greatest storytellers and uh, writers of our generation. And I stand by that fully 100%. And we used to share a room and it got awkward when we had to bring girls over, ladies over. Because, you know, one of them was sitting in the room in a bed right across. I was sleeping on the futon because I didn't have shit when I left Austin. I put a bunch of shit in my 1980 Berlinetta Camaro. And then my boy Brian followed me in his car with my guitar amp and guitar, dude. So I'm upstairs, but now we're in my boy Kyle's room. And the little paisan, the little Italian girl, who was older than me. But, you know, I got you, when you're feeling ballsy... And you're a young, strapping lad with no chest hair at the time either. What a fucking punk I was. Uh, She started, she went down on me, dude. She went down on me. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, I ain't never had this shit happen before. This feels way better than my hand. It's way warmer than my hand. And she's making noises. And this was... The first time I get a blowjob, and it probably would have been my last because I almost nut on my face. I'm laying on my back. She's on top. She's going at it. And I'm already about to bust. Everyone knows as a man, your very first time, you do not last long. You do not last long. Unless you're so paranoid and so freaked out that you end up lasting longer because you can't bust one to the sky forever everyone to see I could and I almost did right in my eye so she comes off the landing pad and just starts using her hand and looking at me saying shit that my young ass was not ready to hear and all my brain was sounds like deploy all extra luggage now deploy extra luggage now and 
I'm about to bust a nut straight in my own eye. And I had to do what I call the Kamehameha. I gathered a bunch of energy. And at the last second, I grabbed her head. I pressed it on my nether regions. And I blew a huge one straight inside her dental orifice. It was horrible. Probably one of the worst things I've ever done. Um, but it, it would have been more embarrassing if that would have shot straight in my face. And then I probably would uh, cut my dick off and never had sex again. But that was when I lost my virginity in Austin, Texas. Now, Austin was a very weird place. And to this day, I think it's cursed. Every time I go up there, something horrible happens. Maybe it's God uh, striking me down for all the dark arts I was taking part of when I was up there in the 512 I'm not sure, but I will say, I was never, every time I went back to Austin after this like six month stretch when I lived there, something bad always happened. Get rear-ended, car gets towed, lose a phone, get guns, get robbed at gunpoint, dude, in front of a very nice apartment in North Austin. Shit was fucking nuts. It was fucking peanuts. It was walnuts. It was pistachios, dude. It was nuts. Oh, that city, man. The 512 is a heavy, heavy city. And it's definitely not the same. I think when South by Southwest came in there, it turned that fucking city upside down, son. Turned it upside down. Some of the greatest uh, people I've ever met, the weirdest people I've ever met, but doesn't matter, greatest. But I will, I mean, you literally have to pay me to go back to the 512. Stay away from it. There's no point. There's no fucking point to go back. That's why I love San Antonio. Most people from San Antonio will move to Austin like I did when they're 18, be rebellious, get a little high. Suck some dick, apparently, and then come back to San Antonio and go, eh, well, rent's cheaper here and people are down to earth. Yes, no shit. I don't know how California is, but I'm pretty sure the worst people in Austin are the most basic people in California. That's how I see it. I mean, I'm not trying to take California as a whole, as a state, but I'm saying just in general, the attitude. I met people from Hollywood. Do you do you want to meet someone so detached from reality that they almost feel like they're on the Truman Show? Everyone, every single person I've met from Hollywood acts like they're on the Truman Show, but it's not this weird realization. It's like, oh, I know I've been on the Truman Show since I was like six. It's just this weird uh, mentality where I'm in an OBE, an out-of-body experience. And I'm looking down at myself and I'm like on, you know, I'm at the fucking Roxy or wherever Guns N' Roses played in like 1987. I'm over there and, you know, I'm just watching myself fucking slay. Watching myself slay. Like, dude, if I hear someone say, watching myself slay, and you're not actually maneuvering a slay, if you're not fucking Santa Claus, then, kunk, 
It's the fuck out of here, dude. It's the fuck out of here. Don't, don't use the word. Slay to the rhythm. Dance to the rhythm. You can't slay shit to the rhythm unless they're war drums and you're a fucking Mongol. And you taught your four-year-old kid how to ride horses in China. Dude, then you can say you slay to the rhythm of war drums. You know, you don't slay to the rhythm. You're not, you're what? So it's twos, twos gays. It's Thursdays at the club and your song's on. So you're slaying. You don't know shit about slaying, dude. You're not Genghis Khan and you're not Santa Claus. The only presents you're giving are kids that don't want them, dude. And these hips don't lie. You got the Abe, Honest Abe? You got the Abraham Lincoln of hips? You got the Abraham Lincoln of hips. These hips don't lie, dude. It's the fuck out of here. Austin, dude. One And when I was up there for the first six months, yeah, I went to a gay club. Yeah. Oil Can Harry's. Yeah. Yeah, I did it. It was fun. Not going to lie. I was working at Chili's. Working at a Chili's. When I had to get on my parents' restaurants when I was young and I could work for someone else that wasn't my family, I went to Chili's because I knew enough about restaurants, at least back of house, that I could work in a Chili's. And I end up doing a test. And I don't know, this probably counts for nothing in the real world. But according to Chili's and Brinker at the time, I scored so high on this server entrance exam, I set the record. I had the best math and shit. And to me, that was easy as fuck. It was like, oh, just add and subtract $2. What's 10%? What's 15? What's 20%? Gunk. If you can't figure that out, you shouldn't even get in the restaurant industry. But a lot of people are in the restaurant industry, can't figure that shit out. So that's why I started working at Chili's. And when I worked in Austin, I worked at Chili's. And everyone, every male, there was only one other guy that was straight in the Chili's I worked at who ended up being, uh, he was getting himself at the law. I was young. He was older. He was impressionable because he was older. You know, he could buy booze and he liked to party even though he wore like that fucking baby gap bullshit. You know, like... uh. North Carolina, come on and raise up. You had a little powdered blue jumper. The fuck, dude? This guy wore that shit. And he was one of those 956 Mexicans. If you don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, I'm talking about the 956 is as close as you can get to Mexico while still being considered to be in America. I honestly think if you go... 20 miles south of San Antonio, year in Mexico. Essentially, half of San Antonio is Mexico. I mean, all of Texas is Mexico. We just fought and won that shit. And then we kept it from the U.S. long enough until they were like, oh, well, we're just going to give you a, a fucking Indian burn until you give us over this land. And that's essentially what we did. They cut off our trade routes. I, I don't try to... I don't pretend to understand all this. So if you have, if you know, if you know exactly the history of how we were forced to become part of the union, I would like to hear it. You could email me at she tastes like Texas at yahoo.com. S H E T A S T E S L I K E T E 
X-A-S. At yahoo.com. Text me the whole, or uh, email me the whole damn story, because I want to know. Or find me on Instagram at she tastes like Texas, and uh, slip in my fucking DMs, dude. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how this shit goes. I'll tell you about the best damn margaritas and prescription medicine you can get for both under two dollars. But um, <laughs> I get wild. I get wound up about this shit. People don't get it, man. That we are literally in Mexico over here. Some of the best fucking food, it will spoil you so bad. I went to Missouri one time to go visit my mom's side of the family. And I have family up there that has blonde hair and blue eyes. And One of my little cousins saw me. She was young. She never met me in her life. And I got black, luscious hair with these baby browns in my eyes and uh, a little bit of facial hair. And they were like, she's like, are you Mexican? I'm like, no, nah, I'm Italian and white trash just like you, but you're just all white trash, which Italian nowadays is pretty much white trash. And she's like, oh, my God. I wasn't that explicit with her. I said, no, you're my cousin. But um, that's that's how the cookie crumbles, dude. That's how the cookie crumbles. This is America, man. This is America. Part of my blood is just raging Italian. Because we're from southern Italy. And after World War One, they bombed the shit out of everything we owned. We owned olive groves, you know, and some some vineyards in Calabria. That's basically, if people don't know geography, Calabria is the tip of the boot. If you look at Italy and people say, oh, Italy looks like a boot and it's kicking some rocks. Yeah, it's kicking rocks. That rock Sicily, dude. What's up, Sicilians? Sup, Sicilians, dude? What's up, dude? It's Dom Caesar. Coming at you straight from live from Caesar's Palace, son. Uh, the Sicilians, man, they don't even consider themselves Italians. It's so weird. It's kind of like Texans. How Texans don't consider themselves Americans, that's how Sicilians are with Italy. They're like, oh, no, we're not Italian, we're Sicilian. It's kind of like a Texan. Oh, we're not American, we're Texan. I'm guilty of that. But I, I know I'm Calabrese. That's the bottom of the boot. It's the bottom of the boot. We're a port town. I look at my last name, it's supposed to start with a fucking K and have a Z in it because apparently we were like from Greece, Caruso, and uh, we settled, you know, that was a big trading port, Reggio di Calabria, that was a nice like, you know, little port of Corpus Christi, that was the port of Calabria, baby, that was Reggio di Calabria, and everything came through there. People, drugs, spices, food, ideas, culture, religion. Um, and apparently my last name. <laughs> kind of got lost there for a second. Let me uh, let me get myself uh, back into this. I want to talk about right now because I was talking about this out-of-body experience, this OBE. And I know people have night terrors. I've met people who have suffered from sleeping problems. And I have sleeping problems, but they're not like night terrors. I just have a problem sleeping. People who have night terrors and have those crazy sleeping problems like that, they don't have a problem falling to sleep. They fall asleep easily. It's their problem is once they're asleep, then they have no control. My problem is I can't even get to sleep to even have control of anything. I just can't sleep. Uh, my mom was like that, and that's why I think part of me is it's just genetics some was like the dark arts like getting into drugs and smoking when I was younger and you know you kind of you play tricks with your brain when you get high I don't 
I don't think it's the smartest thing for anyone to do. I think anything that gets you high needs to be used in some kind of moderation. It's something you can't make daily. I smoked marijuana daily for so long until I realized now I'm not even changing my demeanor or my mentality. I'm just burning energy. I'm ruining my lungs. And it's not even having an effect on my emotions. Uh, and I'm a supporter of marijuana. I believe... In small doses, in the right doses, it's great. I think daily use, I mean, daily use is fun, but after a while you get burnt out. It's like doing anything every single day you get burnt out. That could be a job, a girlfriend, a fucking driving the speed limit down the same road for 20 fucking years. One day you're just going to hit the pedal of the metal and go too far. Luckily, if you go too far in marijuana, ain't going to kill you. Thank God. If you go too far with this fucking Jim Beam, that shit ain't going to kill you. Actually, that shit, the vanilla, will that won't kill you, but the regular one would. That is horrible. As a bartender, I'm so mad at myself. To give a little background on, on my experience and my palate, I have tasted and rated 825 different wines, red and white. I have my level one quartermaster Somali from the quartermasters. If you ever watched uh, Netflix with the documentary Psalm, the Psalm documentary, that's the shit I do, son. If you want to give me three glasses of red wine, if you want to give me three glasses of red wine, all different, unlabeled, I'll tell you, you have shitty taste, and I'll tell you what the fuck the wines are. Yet, I go to the liquor store and buy really cheap, very bad vanilla liqueur and bourbon and mix it with Coca-Cola. That's the white trash part about me, man. That is, that's the yin and the fucking yang of my blood type, dude. My dad and my grandpa, my grandma, like you heard, man, that shit is straight Italian. I got the Renaissance in my blood. And then on my mom's side, that's let's jump some hay bales, punt some Kentucky Deluxe and some Coca-Cola, and smoke some shitty weed and be, and have a good time about it. So it's like two, two clashing palates slash tastes slash walks of life. And then you get me, who grew up, you know, drinking Lone Star and dating the swim team captain. Even though I never drank Captain Morgan back then. My, one of my brothers, he likes rum, which is very odd. So man does not drink. He's more of on the, he's on the green. He, he's on the green, just hitting holes in one. Holes in fucking one. And uh, I respect that about him. For his older brother, you know, like I'm his older brother and I love to booze. And you think, oh, well, I'm going to do what my older brother does because I look up to him. Nah. We were both looked up to each other in different regards, and I think he probably walked away with better experience. He got to see me fuck up on a lot of things, and I think seeing me fuck up made him smart enough to know I ain't going to do that shit. Now, my youngest brother's the smartest because he saw myself and my other brother fuck up, so he got two lessons. Two. Like, not saying I never would like to booze with my younger brother, because I would like to, but this, if I ever saw him booze, I'd fucking slap it out of his hand and be like, bro, 
stop now. You're in too deep and you're trying to keep up above in my head instead of going under, instead of going under. I think it's some 41, but uh, one of my friends from, you know, one of my friends that I cultivated a relationship in Austin, even though she's from San Antonio, she came over the other night and we were just having some drinks and she put on Blink-180. We'll start with Fleetwood Mac. How we ended up on Blink-182, I'm not sure. But I rewatched every Blink-182 song, their music videos. And oh my God, what the fuck we used to think was cool. Like our parents used to go watch fucking Stevie Nicks, you know? Just kill it like... You listen to the rumors album by Fleetwood Mac, or or you you see Kiss, or whatever, man. Like disco in the late seventies, <laughs> they thought that shit was so cool. And you would laugh at your parents when you're growing up. You're like, well, you thought that was cool while you're wearing tight pants and forgetting that your dad had tighter pants and they were called Jordash, not DoorDash, not Uber Eats, Jordash. Those pants were tighter than any fucking emo kid ever had in oh fucking five. Check the records, dude. Jordash were spray painted on you. Ask your parents. Go, hey mom, hey pa, did you ever wear Jordash? Sweet Jesus. <sighs> but I can't lie. I started wearing tight pants because of Led Zeppelin. Even though Blink-182 and all that shit was super popular when I was in high school... My dad, playing guitar, he knew that I needed to know the greats. Even though he didn't support my music, I think he knew that if I was going to play music, I'm not going to listen to the bullshit. So he gave me Led Zeppelin's Early Days, Greatest Days, or Early early Days, Later Days. It was like, you know, one of their greatest hits albums. It was really good, like 15 songs on the early days, had all your shit from Zeppelin 1 through 4, plus like Houses of the Holy, and then the later days was all their shit they should have retired on. You know, before Bonham died, rest in peace, uh, rest in peace, John Bonham. Actually, no, it descended to John Bonham too. She's a pretty awesome chick. Uh, rest in peace to your uh, your uncle, your great uncle. Um, rest in peace. I got my I got some bourbon in my hand right now. I'm just gonna say right now, rest in peace, man. And I think John Bond passing away was probably the best thing that could have happened to Led Zeppelin, hands down. And I think. They were ready to leave, like in through the outdoor. You should have just went through the outdoor and never came back in. I feel they all know that. I 100% think they know that because that album was shit. Uh, but I do believe Led Zeppelin was the greatest band. The, ba- the greatest three-piece musically and a greatest four-piece altogether. Beatles overrated and actually email me select go on search she tastes like texas on instagram dm me why the beatles you think are the greatest band let me know because i will tell you right now when i listen to beatles songs they were not that creative what they did in the audio engineering world may have been but besides that sorry if you listen how diverse Led Zeppelin's music was for as long as they were a band 
how every album sounded like a different genre. No songs really even had a normal song structure. It wasn't like verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, outro. No, they did random shit. Verse one, maybe chorus, random bridge, instrumental. Is this verse two? Chorus three. Like they were just everywhere. I love that. No one else is thinking like that. But what they did was they cut themselves out from everyone. Like they didn't listen to other music. So they they weren't going to be subconsciously influenced by any other bands. That is a beautiful thing to do. That is having uh, faith in your guys and your band and knowing how the brain works with music especially. When I played guitar and I was writing a lot of riffs, so many times I would write riffs that the Rolling Stones already did. I remember one of the very first times I played a riff that I was super proud of and I was sitting there in my room for like eight and a half hours and I finally fiddled up, you know, this riff. I figured it out. I was playing it really nice and I went to go show my dad and he goes, oh, I didn't know you were listening to the Rolling Stones. And I go, what are you talking about? No, I won't even listen to like blues guitar, like Steve Ray Vaughan and Buddy Guy and and Zeppelin. He goes, no, uh, what you just played was Jumping Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. <laughs> so I go, I think LimeWire, Napster, whatever the fuck we had. And I look it up and sure enough, this riff and chord progression I've been putting together for the last eight and a half hours was note for note, Jumping Jack Flash by the Rolling Stones. So that really goes to show you there's nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun when it comes to news, politics, music. I mean, really. Unless you're fucking Takashi 69 Yeah, no one said the dumb shit you said yet. You were the first to say the dumb shit you did. But being someone who's controversial or changing their look for attention, adding that to their character they are on stage, like that's all been done. All of that's been done. Nothing new under the sun. Sun, gang, gang. That's what I have to say. I've seen it all. I think I've seen it all. But yeah, we've been a little everywhere right now. And I think the the moral of the story is... <laughs> Moral of the story is, if you haven't, if you haven't lost your virginity yet, if you haven't got a blowjob yet, if you haven't smoked weed yet, if you're feeling stuck in your little city, if you're feeling, uh, maybe you've done all those things, but yet you're stuck, just leave. It is so easy to restart your life. Uh, a late aunt of mine used to say, life is too short to put yourself in situations you don't want to be in. And I 100% have lived my life by that ever since. I didn't like what San Antonio was offering me at the time. So I left and I went to a different city. It cost you literally nothing to start over. It costs zero dollars to start over. Whether it's a new city, a new job, a new relationship, or just a new day with a new mentality, it costs zero dollars. There's a lot of risk 
emotional risk in starting over, but the payoff is so fucking beautiful, and you learn so many things, and you help shape and sharpen yourself that I think it's worth it. Look at my grandparents. They took a risk, and they left Detroit, Michigan, and they went all the way down south and started a new life. Had kids, started a restaurant. My family. My mom took a risk and went out on a date with the, the owner of the family's, uh, the owner of the restaurant's son. And then she ended up having me. And so it's all about taking risks. There's a lot of reward in taking risks. But there's also, you're taking a bigger risk not doing anything and staying stagnant. That's when you start seeing hours and time of your life just tick by and fall to the wayside and then you're going to regret that one day. I don't want to have any regrets when I'm older. And part of that is an understanding the world's not going to slow down for you. The world doesn't give a fuck about you. Expectations are just resentments that are waiting to happen. Don't don't expect anything to don't expect anything. If you wake up and you have a new day, you shouldn't even expect having a new day. You're lucky you didn't die in your sleep or some crazy shit. We're not living third world countries over here. Some people might consider Texas a third world country. And maybe we took a third world country a lot of their land. We we did. That's historical. But I will say, don't take any of that for granted. Take risks, spread your wings, and fly. Now, uh, thank you for listening in. This is going to be episode one, two, or three. I'm not sure. But thank you for listening. Uh, I'm going to have different people on. I think I'm going to start off with my boy Brian and then maybe my brother Christian. And we're going we're gonna to come out here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to interview people once a week. Give you all something to listen to in the car. And I might even give you maybe another hour per week, you know, of hot topics. So make sure you uh, email me at shetasteliketexas at yahoo.com. Check me out on Instagram at shetasteliketexas. Check my producer out, Zach Cavender, at Sticker Fridge Productions. As always, stay safe. Keep it easy. Keep it sleazy. Don't buy vanilla fucking flavored bourbon. Drink the real shit. Wrap it up. Um, and if you're a woman, make sure he wraps it up. Because there's no fucking excuse for our shit. Alright, y'all. Love y'all. See you next uh, week. See you next Tuesday. See you next Monday. One love. Dom Caesar out. <laughs>